this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer, and it's a repeat one, which I'm really happy about. I have Nick Newman and Jameson Lopp from Casa joining me today. How are you guys? Hey, David, doing well. Hanging in there. Hanging in there. That's the best we can do these days, I suppose. So Casa provides secure storage solutions for digital wealth and namely focused on Bitcoin. Um, and so their key flagship product is called Keymaster. We're going to have a great conversation about what it means. There's a narrative that's been in digital assets for a while, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. And Casa has been at the forefront of providing key management. We've had a few people on the show in the past. Matt Walsh rings a bell if you guys want to catch up on that episode. We talked a lot about key management, but we're going to talk about that and what it means. But again, what we'd like to do um, from the onset, uh, we didn't have Nick and Jameson on before from CASA. And so both have great backgrounds. Jameson has been well received in the ecosystem as someone who is an expert in security uh, in OPSEC. Um, he has some really great literature that he's written about, about OPSEC, and I highly recommend you checking that out. We'll put some liners, uh, some notes in the liners so you guys can find that. But if you could give us a little general background about both of yourselves, how you got into this world. We don't do the when Bitcoin moment, but exactly what about the underpinning of the technology really led you to this world and actually you know, founding and now working at CASA? Sure. So my background is in computer science and I heard about Bitcoin quite a while ago and read the white paper and, and it was really the white paper and the technical aspects of solving this new computer science problem that I had never even heard of that really got me fascinated. Um, you know, simultaneously also got interested from the libertarian uh, viewpoint of, you know, what is money, who should control it, how should it be defined, et cetera, et cetera. And so that combined with this open source ethos, I felt like the idea of money as an open collaborative project was just fascinating and I uh, wanted to devote my resources towards working on it. So I've, I've been in the space for about five years now primarily focused on boring old security stuff because I think that we've still uh, got a lot of work to do if we want this technology to go mainstream. Yeah, and I, I started my career in investment banking and eventually moved into tech working on products and designing really easy to use products for consumers and really became interested in Bitcoin because it was the cross section between tech and finance and the idea of being your own bank and re rewriting a lot of the existing financial norms was really interesting to me and similarly to jameson i realized that there was so much room to grow in bitcoin around the user experience and you know the the security and how products are built and just making them better for the average person rather than for really technical people. And so that's what CASA is really focused on. And so, as I mentioned, we had Jeremy on about a year ago um, discussing CASA and everything that you guys were doing there. So it's been a while and there's been some updates and some things that you have done there that are new. So for those that um, are not familiar and have not listened to that episode, have not experienced that for the family offices and the institutional investors out there that listen to the show, 
give us a kind of a brief on what CASA is and give us a little bit of an update how things have manifested and changed over the last few months. Sure. So CASA is the secure home for your Bitcoin. We believe it's, we've always believed that it's really important that people hold their own Bitcoin, uh, but it's been historically really difficult to do. And so it caused a lot of anxiety for people about managing their own keys and potentially losing their Bitcoin and what do they do with their seed phrase, et cetera. And so we founded CASA because we realized that combining really first class design and security with a more human touch with our support and client services team was something that the industry was just missing. And we could help people get better peace of mind that their Bitcoin is safe by joining those two factors of design and security Mm -hmm. with that human touch. And so, you know, over the last year, we've continued to grow the company and we tested out a few different product lines between Casa Keymaster and the Casa Node. And what we saw was that the need for the security and the ability to protect what matters, which is people's Bitcoin savings, mm-hmm. both for themselves and their family, just way outweighed the um, desire for anything else. Mm-hmm. And so what we've done is really in the last few months, uh, focus the business on Casa Keymaster and on making sure that people have the right tools to keep their Bitcoin secure. Okay. So let's do this. I think it would be a worthwhile exercise for anyone who's listening. Uh, I've spoken to a few family offices in the last few days that have gotten very interested in Bitcoin amidst the printing press that we're seeing now, another $2.3 trillion. The Fed just came in as a lending program. And obviously, we're all familiar in the crypto landscape for the printer goes burr narrative that's been and the meme that's been popping up. Um for those that are starting to take a serious look at Bitcoin as a salvage, as a untethered asset, as I am saying it now uh, very loudly to other people out there, let's talk a little bit. Uh, we have. I want to go into the more dynamics of you know everything else that you guys are working on, but I want to go through an exercise for someone who's listening right now who's about to potentially look at purchasing Bitcoin for the first time. Let's go through the normal, usual ways, you know, from you know our experience, my experience. They would probably go to someplace like a Coinbase and they will go through the KYC and AML process. And alas, they will then, you know, buy their Bitcoin there. And for many people, they have left it on Coinbase. Uh, you know, we can talk, Jameson, you know, obviously I, I think you have some opinions on that, on leaving you know, on exchanges, but let's talk to people who are just getting into Bitcoin right now and let's go into how they would actually then use CASA, uh, as a process and a place to keep their Bitcoin safe. Sure. So interestingly enough, uh, just from like a, a personal anecdote, if I had left my coins on the first exchange where I got my first coins, I wouldn't have them anymore. You know, these, these exchanges have bad things happen to them. Mm. But uh, in many cases, 
like you said, you, you may go to an exchange, you may go to an OTC desk, uh, you may find some sort of uh, peer-to-peer marketplace where you can do the actual transaction. And then the question becomes, well, are you going to just use that service as a wallet if they support that? Or are you going to move them into some different security model, preferably one where you are managing your own keys? So from a, a network perspective of you know, what actually needs to be done, well, all you need to do is request a withdrawal from whatever service that you make that purchase at, give them the Bitcoin address of your new wallet, and off it goes, usually within 10 or 20 minutes, it'll uh, show up and get confirmed in your new wallet. With, uh, with regard to CASA and setting up our service, we can, in fact, help guide you through this entire process, including, uh, you know, depending on your, your purchase size, try to find like a good OTC desk for you uh, that can offer a decent rate. But the setup process for CASA will be slightly more involved in the sense that you're actually going to have various pieces of hardware devices that will come together to mm-hmm. constitute what is your wallet. So you'll you'll be getting a Trezor, Ledger, cold card, what have you, and essentially plugging those in, allowing our software to constitute this multi-signature wallet, which requires sign-off from each of these devices in order to spend from it. Mm-hmm. But once you have that initial setup, which only takes maybe 20, 30 minutes, and uh, we can help you, of course, walk through this process, then you can just use your mobile app from there on out to actually get the deposit addresses uh, for you know wherever you're purchasing the Bitcoin to then send it into your multi-signature protected CASA wallet. And yeah. you know, there's a lot of other factors, of course, that go into this, but uh, yeah. we can get into those later. Yeah, and really what... Um is the the really important thing for uh, out of what Jameson said there that uh, family offices that are new to Bitcoin or even just individuals that are new to Bitcoin really like about Casa is that we have a dedicated client services advisor, a human who is there to walk you through all of this process to answer your questions about Bitcoin about why you shouldn't hold your Bitcoin on an exchange and why it's important to use a non-custodial wallet like Casa. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that um, is really a huge differentiator. And that's why we're starting to see these new uh, people who are new to Bitcoin coming to Casa. And we've actually started to see people that are coming to Casa before they even buy their first Bitcoin. They're coming to us. They're asking for our help to get their security set up mm-hmm. and to make sure that they're doing everything right because they trust that we have their best interests in mind. Right. And then we're walking them through the process of going out and, and buying their Bitcoin and then and then storing it securely with Casa. So let's get into it. Historically, and we're using the last five years as history, I guess you can say. You know, I think one of the issues is that the idea of having your Trezor or Ledger and then obviously maintaining your 24-character seed phrase and making sure that you understand all the nuances. I think there's been – I think we were alluding to it is that, you know, for people who are less technocratic that might not feel comfortable, um, you know, I find that interesting because I remember back – 
in the late 90s when people said, oh, I'm not comfortable with this internet thing. And then, you know, obviously, if you weren't on the internet, you know, a few years later, you're basically, you know, a fossil. And so I think there is a curiosity that, you know, we all have to go through there where people say, oh, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with this thing. But then they realize that it's really not that hard and it's really not that cumbersome. But what, in your opinion, has historically been the hiccup? What has really kind of slowed people down from doing things, removing their their coins off of exchanges and doing this themselves? What do you think has been one of the major hurdles and how have you guys have addressed it? You know, one of the things that people uh, that really drew me into this and that is a problem for people is that your private key is like a key to your safe in your house. You know, if you, if you lose that key, there's no person that you can go to, to tell you or to say, Hey, can you help me remake this key? It's just that Bitcoin is lost. And so that's scary for people. And people really aren't used to that with the current financial system. But that's really what the biggest benefit of Bitcoin is, is that you are truly holding it yourself. Nobody else can control it. And so what we've done with Casa is made a system where you don't have to worry about losing that key. You're still holding it yourself. But since you have multiple keys protecting your funds, losing one key is not a big deal. And so that that robustness and redundancy gives people a lot of peace of mind. And really, that's the the key uh, that we have found is uh, giving people the ability and, and the, to feel safe moving their funds from an exchange into a wallet that they control. I think you you touched on the seed phrase issue and... Like we said, you know, usually when you you set up a new wallet, it gives you these 24 words and it says, okay, keep this safe somewhere. Mm-hmm. And there's this entire iceberg of you know, boring IT data practices and cybersecurity uh, knowledge that is kind of hidden under there. And, and most people are not going to be security experts. And even security experts like myself don't generally want to go through the time and hassle of doing uh, boring IT practices and data backups and, and stuff like this. And like I was spending one to two days every year refreshing my cold storage setup, which was this really insanely complicated thing wow. that my, my fingers were crossed that if I ever got hit by a truck, my heirs would actually be able to execute the instructions for it. Um, and that's, that's really one of the things that made me realize uh, how much opportunity there was, you know, this big gap in the market uh, for building a more user-friendly system that was still secure. And, you know, Bitcoin has always enabled people to be sovereign, to be their own bank, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the, the learning curve to get there and feel secure and feel like you are protected against everything is so high that, like you said, most people are just leaving their coins exactly where they're buying them. And when you do that, I make the argument that you don't actually own Bitcoin. You actually own an IOU for Bitcoin and you're asking some other party to use the Bitcoin protocol on your behalf. And that means that you no longer get to enjoy many of Bitcoin's most valuable features, such as censorship resistance and seizure resistance. And you know, this has always been a, a challenging issue for users because, like Nick said, it places a lot of responsibility onto people that they're just 
generally not used to having. And, and usually if something goes wrong, you have some sort of specialist somewhere that you can call up to fix the problems for you. But in Bitcoin, uh, that, that's the trade-off is you have the power to do things without getting permission. But the flip side is if something goes wrong, if you make a mistake, there is no one who can undo that mistake. I think that's, you're hitting on something really important. I've spoken to many family offices out there in the past. And I remember one about six or seven months ago, um, their patriarch wanted to get involved because he agreed with the whole Chamath kind of narrative of Bitcoin being schmuck insurance. And we talked through the the processes and we said, okay, you know, this is how you would actually go about ascertaining Bitcoin. You know, you could use a Trezor ledger. Um, obviously, you could use Casa. You can use other things out there. Um, but he was like, well, what if we do like seven figures? You know, you know, I, I start to he started to feel slightly uncomfortable when you're starting to put in that kind of assets and it's not your assets. You know, I think there's a distinction when it's you're a CIO of a family office or someone else out there. You know, if it's not your assets and it's the assets of the family that you're working for, you know, it feels, you know, slightly uncomfortable. So let's talk about multi-layered security because I think this is important because I want people to really understand the way and how closely you work with people out there so they don't feel that kind of sense of uncomfortableness. Yeah, I mean, another way of phrasing this is that we have put a lot of effort into architecting a system that eliminates single points of failure. And by that, we even mean our own company, our own servers, our own internet architecture. And one of the, the primary ways that we do this is that we try to push as much of the sensitive operations, as much of the security of the system to the edges, and, and by the edges, I mean to the users, to the, the end clients, and push it away from our servers so that you know, we're not creating um, honeypots, if you will, uh, on our central server architecture. So we build our clients, our mobile apps, in a way that they don't trust the integrity of the data that is provided to them by the servers. We have uh, a number of processes to ensure the security and the integrity of both the mobile apps and the server-side code where we're using cryptographic signatures and two-man rules on all of the code changes and the, the build and deploy processes that are happening. We're also uh, creating various levels of security for the private keys that our users are, are using you know, to constitute their multi-sig wallets. We're not just putting keys on one device or even one type of device, but rather we're using a diversity of hardware and software, a lot of which is not even uh, created or maintained by us. You know, by using multiple different companies and multiple different hardware and firmware on multiple devices, this is actually creating uh, additive security that is um, making the attack surface much, much smaller because you, you would have to penetrate multiple different systems uh, in order to actually compromise enough data to be able to take somebody's money from them. Mm -hmm. And you get uh, protection against physical attack and natural disasters by geographically separating these keys on the, their different devices. And then finally, like Nick said, uh, we even protect against the user themselves and just normal human mistakes by building a level of redundancy into the system so that 
you can lose a device or destroy a device and actually be able to completely recover from it without even asking for our help. We have wizards built into the app for that. Uh, you can even lose two different devices, two different sets of keys simultaneously and still be able to recover with our help because we hold one key uh, in our own uh, cold storage offline reserves that we can use for emergency situations. And you know what we're really talking about here is an entire wealth of knowledge where we've we've published about 40 pages of documents on our website that goes through every possible attack and loss vector that we've thought through over the years and exactly how we've designed our system to mitigate against them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that really all combines into when somebody is thinking about storing a large amount of money with CASA, it combines into the knowledge that we have put a ton of work and time into making an extremely robust, resilient, and secure system to protect people's Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we've seen some clients do is they will actually, so they'll have CASA as their uh, self-custody set up for their Bitcoin, and they'll actually split some of their Bitcoin between CASA and one of the other institutional custodians mm -hmm. because that gives them another hedge against mistakes or against things happening which could affect Bitcoin, their Bitcoin in one place or the other. Right. And so that allows them just one more layer of protection, uh, especially when they're storing such large amounts of Bitcoin. And so... I would love to get your opinion on this, Jameson, as a what people would call a Bitcoin OG. Um, hopefully, you don't mind being called that, but you've been around the block a few times here. The happening is happening soon, about 30 some odd days from now. And so I'm curious, you said that you guys were hearing, we're getting more kind of demand or you're hearing more from potential customers and clients. Do you think that the happening that people have gotten to understand what the happening means and that they could be potentially getting more interested in it because of that? Interestingly enough, I think that a lot of people who own Bitcoin don't even know about the happening or you know, they don't know much at all about the actual details of the protocol. All they know is that, you know, this is a completely different asset that maybe they should invest some in. And there's a lot of debate there. There, I think, I guess this is the third having I've, I've been around for. The same debate happens every time, you know, is the having priced in? Do people know what it is? You know, I think even within Bitcoin owners, a lot of them don't know really what it is and how it works. And especially people who have not yet jumped into Bitcoin, they definitely don't understand this. But whether or not the having directly impacts people, like you can have debates about the stock to flow model, et cetera, et cetera. I think that it's more of a, a PR type thing of it gets people into learning more about the economic properties of the system and the guarantees. And, and that you know, coinciding with what's happening right now in uh, traditional markets and in you know U.S. Treasury and and other um, central banks, it's uh, I think it's sort of a, a perfect storm. And and as people are learning more just about how money works, that's when I think the value proposition of these alternative systems really starts to shine. Agreed. 
I think the other question I'd love for you to opine on is that, if I'm not mistaken, about 2 million coins have been lost due to key loss. Is that correct? Is that kind of a, a right statistical number there? Is that something around there? It's hard to put an exact number on it. You know, the the blockchain is public, so you can look at things like how many dormant coins haven't been spent in a certain amount of time. Mm. And uh, interestingly enough, it's actually uh, worse than that from some of the chain analysis reports we've seen. The estimates that we generally go with are over you know bitcoin's 11 year history there have been around 2 million coins that have been known to have been stolen but the estimates for lost coins are actually closer to 4 million and of course that is that is i think also including what are assumed to possibly be satoshi's coins which is around a million coins mm-hmm. and i think with the idea of losing your coins and you know, obviously the key loss, you know, obviously we're talking a lot about key management today. I think that really is important for people to understand because this is something I've heard a lot. And, you know, if you want to opine on this too, that would be great. But I've heard, you know, from people who do not know Bitcoin, what obviously as well as you guys do and others do. Um, but I've heard from the outside that they think that Bitcoin could be hacked. Um, and I know you can probably opine about that for hours and we don't need to do that. But I think this is a really important distinction is that where you hold your Bitcoin those places have been hacked, as you alluded to, but the actual Bitcoin network itself is not, correct? It's, it is an interesting question. Um, if you go into some really, really old history, back in the very early days, there, there were a bug or two that yes. resulted in bad things happening, but those got fixed very quickly. And that's part mm-hmm. of the reason why Bitcoin is what basically anti-fragile. But I think the... The short version of all of this is that it's highly unlikely at this point that the entire Bitcoin network uh, gets hacked in a way that everyone loses their money um, simply because Bitcoin is its own bug bounty. If anyone can find a bug that allows them to take people's coins, then they become a billionaire overnight. Now, if someone did find such a bug and managed to exploit it and people would notice immediately and then there would be a huge uh, outcry and everyone would come together and basically say, okay, we obviously need to fix this and how quickly can we fix it? And you know, there have been events in Bitcoin history where um, major things have gone wrong and they usually get fixed within a matter of hours. Absolutely. Spot on. I think people, you know, as they're learning more about it, they need to learn that, that yes, it has had about a 99.8 or 9% uptime and that it has had, you know, very early on, very, very early on has had a few hiccups, but relative to the traditional financial system, which banks have had their ATM machines go down for two days and other things, it it is a, a very stable environment. So, this has been awesome. One of the things that we like to do with our guests on the show, too, is just to get a little bit of enlightenment about some of the things that they might be doing on a personal level. And the two things that we like to uh, kind of hone in on are anything that you've been reading lately that could be books or that could be articles. And hopefully it's not this all crypto specific, specific but um, anything that you've read recently that could be interesting for people to learn about. And then any music that you guys like. Yeah, so uh, I've been, when I read lately i've been doing my best to 
escape the world. So I've been listening to the Wheel of Time series uh, by Robert Jordan on Audible. And uh, that's a, a great series of books that's super long. So it really has a lot of meat to dig into. And that's been really enjoyable. On the uh, music side, I've been, you know, doing a lot of uh, Dave Matthews recently, weirdly enough. Huh. I haven't, I haven't listened to DMB in years. Wow. Okay. I will say um, I, I read the We Are Legion series recently, um, also known as the Bobaverse book. That's some interesting sci-fi, which is also interesting to me because uh, I find like transhumanism, you know, uh, basically digitizing your consciousness to be uh, an interesting uh, concept to think about. And uh, it, it actually kind of overlaps with uh, what I've found in the Bitcoin space. There are a number of people who are interested in cryogenics as well. Hmm. I didn't know that. And any music that you like, Jameson? Um, you know, I kind of, I kind of got out of of music a few years ago when when I was actually paying more attention to music. I had a very odd, um, eclectic taste, which was I was actually very interested in mashups of music, and more specifically, mashups between artists who did not live together, uh, you know, at the same time, and thus never would have been able to perform together in the first place. Wow! So something like a Beethoven and a Rihanna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and in fact, uh, there there's actually a fairly prominent uh, crypto trader now who used to be one of my favorite mashup artists, and he would he would create uh, mashups that were things like uh, '90s hip hop with uh, classical artists, or you know, stuff that was basically centuries apart. Wow, that does sound interesting, and that's something I'm going to have to go find out now too. Um, so the last thing that we'd like to do for for guests on the show, where can people learn more about Casa? How can they get in touch with you guys and learn about what you guys are doing? Yeah, so our website is keys.casa, and you can also check us out on Twitter at Casa Hodl H O D L. And then if you're interested in learning more about becoming a CASA member or if you're a family office interested in getting into Bitcoin but not sure where to start, send us an email at membership at team.casa and that will uh, go directly to our client services team. We can get in touch with you and help you figure everything out. Awesome. So this was Nick Newman and Jameson Lopp for a great conversation about CASA, about key management, about Bitcoin. Thank you guys for joining us. Be healthy, be safe, and we'll be catching up with you guys in a few months to see how things are going. Take care. Thanks, David. You too. Bye. For more notes from this past episode about our guests, please go to www.ar.ca slash base layer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on base layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space in the financial terms you understand, please visit 
www.ar.ca for articles, marketing commentary, videos, and more.